Next time you face a challenge in business, take the example of this week's guest and look at it like it's a task from The Apprentice. This is the Leeds Business Podcast and I'm your host, Phil Fraser. I'm a business sounding board. Think somewhere between a business coach and a business mentor. I help business owners to not be lonely at the top. In this week's episode, we speak to Russell Bissett, founder of the Northern Monk Brewery. Russell explains to us the key role his grandmother played in launching the business, the importance of collaboration in business, particularly in the early days, and the different challenges that direct-to-customer, off-trade and on-trade bring to the brewery industry. He also explains how a focused brand positioning can help your business to thrive. To make sure you never miss out on every episode of the Leeds Business Podcast, sign up to our priority list at www.leadsbusinesspodcast.com. Everyone that signs up gets a free gift to help their business. So, let's get into what is a really great interview. On today's episode of the Leeds Business Podcast, we have Russell Bissett, founder of Northern Monk. Hi, Russell. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for being on the show. Um, so, people around Leeds will probably know Northern Monk, but they might not know the whole story. Um, let's go back to the early days. You were, you, you were in the chemist, chem, chemicals industry initially, is that right? That's correct, yeah. Um, and just, I'm going to jump back to the start of this as well, and just to say a massive thanks. I'm a big fan of what you do, and I know it's been hard to connect. We've had a, a busy couple of months at Northern Monk. Um, but yes, yeah, so to dive into the Northern Monk world and journey, I um, I went to university at De Montfort University in Leicester. I went through clearance. Uh, been living in Bradford. Well, I moved from Manchester when I was about six. So you know, for the past 12 years. And I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to get out and um, go to uni. I'll just make something happen. It was a, a decision on a bit of a whim. And I studied marketing. Uh, after about six months, um, I felt like th- what I was learning um, was really, really important and useful. Um, however, um, as we've reflected on in the preamble before this conversation, I'm not necessarily super process-driven, um, uh, quite a creative mind and and learn much better uh, from from actually doing um, and after yeah after the six months I decided that I was going to go and forge my own way in the world as it were um, and I moved back to Bradford um, and I decided uh, well actually I, I did a bit of traveling as well I spent a year going around the world uh, and uh, and when I did get back you know realized it was my time to kind of make this now my dreams are reality and start to actually um, apply that thinking around learning on the ground. I got a job with um, a company called Surfachem. So chemicals always sounds incredibly sinister, but the reality is they they sell the, the raw materials that make um, liquid soaps, like everything you use on a day-to-day basis, toothpaste, washing up liquids, um, detergents for clothes, everything really, and, and across all kinds of industries, to be honest lots of different applications, many of the products that we'd still use today in, um, in elements of the, the brewing process, or at least a couple. Um, so yeah, I did that for a number of years and um, I was lucky enough after about nine months uh, of joining to be promoted to their international uh, department. So I was um, business development manager for uh, Africa, Scandinavia, Turkey, and Russia. So quite a big patch. Um, and, and just really, really enjoyed it. Um, 
And actually, it was my experience in Scandinavia, which probably first were first kind of gave rise to the, the inspiration for Northern Monk. So as a Bradford lad kind of growing up in the north, uh, my experiences around booze were uh, not really driven by flavor and taste and experience, but probably more about just kind of, well, drinking with friends and, and getting, uh, getting pissed probably at that age, to be quite frank. And, um, you know, when I was out in Scandinavia, uh, I was having my first opportunity to kind of experience like um, the culinary scene and, and the, the idea of pairing um uh well at the time it was kind of wines with food now i thought it was incredible so uh came home and um started to do like beer tasting nights with friends and beer and food pairing and um yeah that was one of the first kind of idea for northern monk a progressive kind of northern british craft brewery uh came to life what was it that that made you sort of take that step from you know I quite like beer, I quite like wine, you know, I'm doing these tasting evenings. So actually then go, hang on, I'd like to make this a business. Where did that come from? So myself and a former colleague uh, who used to like play with this idea and um, you know, have great fun thinking about what it could what it could be. Um, we did enter a young entrepreneurs competition called Barclays One Small Step uh, and we did quite well, but we didn't win. Um, and then I got another job with a, a, a pigments business, actually, so similar kind of industry, but I was looking after their high purity division. I was a um, their global product manager, and um, they were used. The applications were pharmaceuticals, pet food, and cosmetics. Uh, and neither, none of which I was particularly passionate about. And uh, that organisation, um, yeah, I wouldn't find super inspiring. And, and and I was lucky enough to get quite you know, to quite a senior position within the business though. It was like a $2.2 billion global organization. I was looking after a $16 million arm of it. Um, and yeah, I just didn't particularly enjoy it. And my, uh, my granny in 2013 decided to downsize her house, moved to a former kind of council house in Edinburgh and gave all of the grandchildren 5,000 pounds um and uh i decided that was that was the time and that was the real catalyst that kind of gave gave rise to northern monk um i remember at the time there was like wild beer co in uh, in bristol um and i talked to them a little bit about potentially working for them but ultimately i was like no i think it's actually i want to go and do this on my own so that's that's ultimately what i did move back home to my mum's house you can't start northern monk in bristol obviously <laughs> Yeah, moved back to uh, our house and set up in the in the cellar there, basically. So between, you know, between the Barclays sort of, um, what do you call it, smart step that, that you entered a competition for and Granny, Granny Bissett giving you the money, was the idea, was it on the back bench? Did you, were you fine tuning it? Or did you leave it alone? How, what was that period like? So yeah, the idea was still definitely alive, um, and I was kind of uh, enjoying um, and discovering more and more beer styles from around the world. I did like um, a basic Cicerone kind of qualification, and yeah, I was just enjoying really getting into beer. But um, you know, it didn't. It was always just on the back of my mind, I guess. And I've heard people talk about business um and entrepreneurialism uh, and business ideas about as these kind of and i still have lots of ideas today uh 
that aren't necessarily always within the world of beer. And at that time, certainly there was lots of ideas, but this was always the one that like, you know, if you put them on a shelf, there's the ones that you kind of, you look back up to the metaphorical shelf and they're still there kind of gleaming away and uh, still really excite you. And that was certainly the case with um, the prospect of starting Northern Monk. So how did, how did you go about actually starting it? What did that process look like? So I had this £5,000, moved back up to my mum's. Um, I started to try and network as much as I could within the industry. I was you know, conscious that I'm a uh, you know, very brand-driven, creative kind of mind um, and have you know, big ideas, uh, but I, I certainly um, recognised that I needed, uh, well, I'd done a bit of homebrewing and was quite passionate about homebrewing, but not lots of it. Um, and with mixed success as well, it's fair to say. So I knew I probably needed a, a brewer. Um, so I, yeah, I did quite a bit of networking on social media and tried to understand the industry better um, and connected with a an award-winning home brewer who coincidentally was based about five minutes walk from my from my mom's house at the time in Shipley. Um, and then... You know, I was looking for cost-effective ways of getting started. So in the beer industry, uh, although, you know, very similar um, models can be applied across many industries, but in the beer industry, that's what they call cuckoo brewing. So you basically use another brewer's facilities. Um, and we, we talked to a number of different breweries and uh, in the end worked with a brewery called Hambleton Ales up in Ripon, quite traditional old um, brewery. Um, and they had the capacity to take us on. So we, so we brewed our first couple of beers there, but in the meantime, um, I was also, you know, they say it takes a village to raise a child. I think it absolutely takes the, the notion of a village to raise a business. And I was, uh, also networking, um, and, and trying to find people whom I could collaborate with and, uh, and work with to, to help us bring this vision to life. So. My dad uh, ran a web design agency. He did all the web design for free. His sister company as a graphic design company. So they did um, uh, a lot of the work for, for free for the first couple of years. And we had a deal where once we hit 2 million turnover, we'd, we'd start paying them back. I think they were probably quite pleasantly surprised when we, when we got there because I don't think it was something they necessarily factored in, but we did. And obviously it's a proud moment to start paying them. Um, and that, that all worked out really well in the end. You've, you're in a situation where you've 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 gone to Ripon, you've started brewing this this beer. How did you go about marketing it? Good question. So we were lucky to have this resource in um, the graphic design uh, company that supported and, and really believed in what we were doing, and also my dad um, on the web design side. So we had kind of a shop front, as it were. Um, but we also we've been very collaborative from the outset. Uh, and we actually found that, you know, we've had very lofty ambitions as well. You know, we've always talked about creating some of the best beer experiences in the world. Uh, and we've been very focused on all experience. So recognizing that whether you're going into a tap room and it's the way that the beer is served and, and the staff and the way they interact with you and the glassware and, and the surroundings and all that kind of stuff, or if it's a can, what that looks and feels like, or in some instances, we've got like the peel and reveal cans anyway very big focus on on full beer experience and wanting to make some of the best in the world even back then somewhat naively but within a few brews 
working with Hambleton for them to produce it for us, we did decide that, um, you know, if we really wanted to make some of the best beer ever, well, A, at some point we decided, yeah, we're going to need our own brewery. Um, but B, we, we also decided to work with um, other breweries to collaborate where with Hambleton, you know, full credits and they got, they helped get started, but there probably wasn't, they weren't as invested in the, the beer in the tank. Whereas um, what we then decided to do was to collaborate with other breweries. So they would obviously put their name to it as well. So we worked with the likes of Saltaire, um, Weird Beard, who had just won like the third best new brewery in the world. Uh, London-based brewery, sadly, sadly now uh, gone, I believe. Um, Bad Seed Brewery, uh, based over in um, Malton. Um, yeah, lots of different breweries, primarily from across the north, but really from across the UK. Um, and we did lots of farmers markets. And so I was going to say, actually getting out there, were they getting out there for you? Were you or you know, you just mentioned there, sorry, farmers markets. Is that how you you got going? Yeah, exactly. We did quite a lot of farmers markets. We did some distribution as well. Um, so again, just networking through social media and, and some cold calling and emailing back in those days. Um, I also was grateful to uh, have the use of my mom's, I think it was a Toyota Haye, so something like that. But um, I don't think the suspension thanked us for driving around the north with uh, casks of beer and uh, and all this kind of stuff in the back of, of the car. Um, but yeah, we, we distributed it all ourselves, sold it all ourselves, um, primarily directly through farmers markets. But and you, you've you've mentioned quite a few different collaborations and sort of beg, steal, and borrowed bits and bits and pieces as you got going. Would you recommend that to 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 startups as a way to get going when it's not as well funded as maybe it could be? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, it's something that we've carried forward to this day. The community is like our, our core value within the business. And I think that that is carried through from that that notion of collaboration and, and the way in which we started. And we try and um, give the same opportunities to as many uh, other breweries coming through now as uh, as we were grateful to have back in the day. There's, in fact, there's a brewery called Mashgan that we've um, that we've allowed to cuckoo brew with us quite a lot. Um uh, to really help them get a foot up and, and they're doing incredibly well they actually make alcohol free beer um and that's um and that's working really well for them um but yeah absolutely i would wholeheartedly recommend kind of both the kind of cross-pollination of ideas but also um audiences and consumer groups i think it, there's something really powerful in in the notion of collaboration you said the initial funding came from from granny bissett downsizing was there any other funding or was it was it seat of your pants to begin with definitely seat of the pants there was a bit of credit card debt uh, and there was also a business enterprise fund which is a government-backed scheme for young entrepreneurs that was quite good actually because that had um some workshops that ran alongside it that were quite useful but i think i, I feel like it was about two and a half grand that we got from that so it wasn't huge either so it was definitely very bootstrapped um and then actually within about six months a friend's dad uh, approached us um another bradford bradfordian uh and he he was looking for investments he just sold a business that he built up from his garage um and he said that he would love to invest and we said 
uh, thanks very much, but we don't need any investment because we're going to take over the world from this cellar uh, in Bradford. Uh, and a few months later, we obviously realized that uh, it would make life a lot easier to have a little bit more capital. So we did take on that investment. And he basically, he valued um, our contribution, my contribution at that point is about £10,000. So he matched that with another £10,000. And then he gave us £100,000 in the form of a loan. Um, and and that was that was the, the, the real kind of seed fund, I guess, that, that got us properly going. And we, um, we looked across the north for um, a venue that would, you know, host our North, progressive northern brewery that was accessible, could have a tap room and a bar on site, which is quite unusual back in, in 2013. And uh, we looked at sites in like Halifax, Dean, Dean Clough. Um, we looked at sites in Saltair and Shipley, but it was a bit of a, a gift, I think, the, uh, the old Flaxstow, which is where we're based, or the original site. Um, it's five minutes walk just over from Leeds Station and grade two listed mill building. Um, yeah, it was just felt like it was, it was the place for us to, to really be. So that was, that was where we went. And when, and, and when was that? What what sort of timeline we're we looking at for that? So that would have been back end of 2013. Well, 2014, we'd have probably got the keys and moved in, as it were. With, and we launched from there um, in like autumn 2014. Okay. And I assume that then that's a bit sort of pedal to the floor then. I suppose that t- took you to the, the next level of the business. Absolutely, yeah. Um, that was quite well. I think all stages of business can feel quite nerve wracking, can't they? It's all all relative. I remember, you know, making my homebrew and brewing thirty liters and thinking, Jesus, where are we going? What want to do with thirty liters of of beer? And now you think, you know, the millions of um, pints that we brew um, can feel daunting. But but yeah, that was a big moment for us. We were lucky enough to launch at some of uh, the venues that we were most excited about, including um, North Bar in Leeds and a, a bar called the Craft Beer Co. in London. They've got a number of them, but the Clerkenwell one. And in terms of product range, how did that change what you could offer and, and obviously the opportunities that that then brought? Yeah, so product range way back then was we started with a beer called new world which is like a west coast ipa um and an imperial stout called stranic so when we first started we wanted to have kind of big um bold impactful beers that excuse me for for one that we could um sell at a slightly higher price because they were you know that they needed to be there were you know there's a lot of duty association and the ingredient cost associated with higher ABV beers, but it meant that we could sm- sell smaller amounts um, and make a little bit more cash margin on them rather than, you know, if you're selling a three and a half percent cask of beer, you have to sell a lot of them for it to, to make any impact and any return. So, yeah, initially we had those two um, and then we we launched uh, a beer called Dark Arches, which is a black IPA named after the Dark Arches in Leeds. Uh, and we did uh, introduce a pale ale at four and a half percent, which was the lowest ABV, a more like sessionable one that we'd done. 
and that was um yeah that, that was well received and then there was actually one called true north as well which we always think about resurrecting which was like a, a best bitter really um like maybe 3.8 3.9 percent i think from memory from all of those i assume there's there's various learnings any of them that bombed or any of them that that went way beyond what you thought i mean how do you judge you know where to pitch them all that sort of stuff good question so the ones that have carried on are uh well stranic our imperial stout we still we've brewed that and we've actually introduced that to uh, a retailer um we stocked that in morrison's um um but i think the learnings I don't know if we took the biggest learnings from those necessarily. We we took maybe some of our learnings in terms of uh, creating noise and in a crowded marketplace from the kind of more subsequent releases and when we started to really innovate. And that was the way that we, as I say, we cut through a little bit more in like a very crowded marketplace. So we did we did a beer that was a pear and hawthorn wit, um, which was quite unique for the time. Uh, we also did a. Uh, black pepper and parsnip hefeweizen. Um, there aren't many parsnip beers out there, probably for a reason. But it was um, parsnip was used in as a replacement for banana in kind of wartime, and it does have and a hefeweizen has a very similar flavor profile. So, um, but beers like that really started to get us a bit of attention, and and people got very excited by them. Um, our first kind of real milestone beer, I guess, and one that is the core of what we now do. It was late 2015, which is a beer called Faith, um, which is a, like an American style pale ale, or was then, and it became more of a hazy beer, hazy pale ale in time. And then because you've now, or you now had this this venue, you then obviously allowed you to expand into hosting events as well. How did that, how did that fit in with the, with the marketing plan? Yeah, I think uh, I think there was a lot of lessons learned there. Um, you know, it was really powerful to be able to welcome people into this like full Northern Monk experience um, that really reflected what we we're about as a brand. But equally, uh, you know, we talk about focus in business, and it's such an important thing. Um, and that was quite tricky navigating that. You know, neither of us had uh, managed the brewery, neither of us had managed or well started a bar in fact brian the co-founder and head brewer um he uh he actually did come from bar management but he was quite busy being the head brewer of the business really but yeah it was it was great and it and it helped us really um put us on the map um, but it did come with its headaches as well um and it was certainly quite challenging you know we at the time uh holbeck that part of holbeck was um had Probably more challenges than it does today is that Holbeck was, uh, it's not anymore, but was the first legal red light district in the UK. And that site was, um, you know, was very close to all of that, that kind of world. So we were doing something quite new on the periphery of the city. Uh, so it was very impactful, but also put a bit of strain on the business as well. Um, in again, in subsequent years, we started to hold festivals there and that was, that was amazing. So, uh, 2000 and I think it was 2018 was the first hop city, the first hop forward beer festival in the UK. And that was huge for the brand inviting um, breweries from across the world to, to Leeds, uh, many of which for the first time pouring in, in the UK. How do you take that first step into retail? 
So we were quite fortunate that we had, you know, uh, a brand that was that was really resonating with consumers, um, really kind of high engagement, I guess, through social media platforms and and the beers were well reviewed. So I'm not sure how into beer you are, but there's a, a, an app called Untapped and the, the beers were rating really highly on that. Um, we used to you know, have a real focus on on that and making sure that our beers resonated with consumers through that app. So, you know, a lot of the retailers are quite savvy by that point and would i think you know we're, we're quite conscious of uh of those things so we had a lot of approaches actually and the first um retailer we went with was marks and spencers and that was i think that's quite good as a, a bit of a me too as well um the second one was morrison so i guess marks and spencers leads morrison's more of a bradford business kept it still kept it local um and you know we really we really tried to be quite selective with the the bigger retailers that that we went with. Um, we had and we still do have, um, but comparatively not not as big um, presence in kind of indie retailers as well. So little bottle shops and bars and things like that. And we we wanted to make sure that there was quite a differentiated offering for for each of those channels as the business has grown and you know the ambitions have grown with it. Um, you know, we, we, we do do a lot more with, with the, the retailers and we're present in, in most of the major retailers now. A lot of people who produce a product want to get into those retailers. It's, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the thing they aim for. What sort of problems does retailing bring that's different to supplying bars and, and, and doing it yourself? I think um, organization is absolutely paramount uh, one of the things that they they value uh, as much as having the best product in store is making sure that the deliveries are on time um, you know the last thing a big retailer wants is an empty shelf that's all that's prime retail retail estate for them essentially and they want to make sure that every product that's on a shelf is delivering for them and and first step of that is making sure that it's sat on that shelf so so yeah that's quite challenging for a smaller for a smaller brand uh, and it takes some getting used to. Um, you know, we're lucky that we, you know, we did have quite supportive retail partners, and, and we continue to that supported us as we grew with them. Um, it's also kind of just labeling and compliance, and and making sure that you're very well clued up on that. And with any food and drink product, inevitably, um, that's super important, and making sure that allergens are, are clearly marked. Um, and then just uh, stock management again, which is about making sure that they actually have the product on shelf. And again, they've been quite supportive with us um, with that. So we have been quite lucky. I think, you know, the reality is we were lucky enough to operate in, uh, in a category that was absolutely booming for a while. So it comes with a little bit of lenience um, and, and, a, and a recognition that a lot of the, the suppliers were smaller craft independent brands that you know we're all kind of facing some of the challenges we went through um so yeah come with quite unique challenges for a small business i would say so one of the questions that comes up regularly uh with my guests is the issue of covid how was covid for you guys so yeah covid was was okay as it were i think you know recognizing um and setting aside some of the the the, the the hardship and challenges we face as a society on a purely on a business level, we saw it as, um, you know, uh, a challenge uh, and one that we, we, we tried our best to rise to. Um, 
Uh, I've since, you know, framed it to the team as, um, you know, entering a kind of an apprentice style challenge in that like the, you know, all bets were off. It was a totally clean slate and you were presented with a totally new operating environment. Um, and it was one that, you know, we, we, we looked to and, and we looked to see how we could pivot um, uh, and, and embrace it and, and trade through as best we could. So for us, that meant that we doubled down on D2C. So we had quite a strong D2C business already, but we, we, um, we doubled down on that. So we offered like twice monthly um, uh, beer subscription up from kind of once a month uh, and offered a number of different tiers within that. Um, we focus really on, on releases that would really resonate with people um, uh, 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 and lend themselves to kind of a D2C and online retail um, scenario. So one of them was like um, a pub crawl uh, through the medium of, of beer cans. So there was like different beers that you would drink in each room of the house. So one was like the shower head, one was the sofa arms, things like that that you know really resonated with people. Uh, and then on the other side of things, um, we talked a bit about major retailers. Um, and in March 2020, we were actually planning to go into Tesco anyway. So, you know, we're quite fortuitous in that respect. But we, you know, we did everything we could to maximize that opportunity um, as well. On a team level, you know, we we did lots of things to try and keep the staff engaged. Um had like uh, within the brand team, at least we had like um, film nights where we'd all watch the same film together and kind of comment on it live. We would do, we uh, we actually sent one night, we sent all of the give or take 80, 90 staff uh, a burger from Honest Burgers, like a, a burger at home kit. And we all made burgers uh, at the same time and shared pictures of them. And we did, we did lots of things to try and keep, keep the team together. There was obviously contingent that were actually on site as well because we were allowed to continue as a, an essential supplier, uh, as it were, in the UK. Um, we were allowed to continue brewing. So and on, and on site, there was a real community spirit. People like, you know, everyone was making sourdough bread, I think, back then, and um, everyone bringing in bread for each other. And, yeah, I think, I think we traded through it as best we possibly could, and it's credit to the dynamism. And entrepreneurialism of the team because coming together to ride it out um and i said that I, I framed it to the team as kind of having an apprentice style challenge or in one of my proudest i guess successes in, in my career is um throughout that period so at the end of 2020 uh, it was awarded in early 21 but we were seen as the fastest growing business in yorkshire um and there's there's a half a million businesses in yorkshire so that was you know often uh give the team that as a bit of a reference point and a credit to them. That year, we were also like the highest rated food and drink company to work for, according to like the Sunday Times top 100 companies, which is based on staff feedback too. Um, so yeah, a, a year that we were, were incredibly uh, proud of in, in, in terms of the way in which the team adapted and to, their, to the, the challenges that faced them. That's great. I, I I love I love the concept of saying right. Okay, we'll look at this as an apprentice challenge. I think that's great. That really frames it really really well. And I also love the fact that a brewer is considered an essential supplier during lockdown. That's fantastic. 
Now, before we do, before we go on to post-COVID, um, I want to talk to our listeners about the Leeds Business Podcast Fair Deal. The Leeds Business Podcast Fair Deal is a deal between myself and the listeners. My side of the deal is I bring you free of charge, inspirational, motivational, and fascinating guests like Russell. Um, listeners, your side of the deal has two parts to it. Part number one, I want you to recommend this podcast to one other person that you think will get benefit from it. Part number two, I want you to post a review either at Apple Podcasts on the app, at Spotify, or at podchaser.com. Or if you're watching on YouTube, give us a wave, Russell, if you're watching on YouTube. Um, give this episode a thumbs up and a review. That's the Lead Business Podcast Fair Deal. Fair deal, Russell? Oh, I think it's a great deal, yeah. Fantastic. So, tell us how, you know, you're the fastest growing company in Yorkshire. You're the top 100 place to work, according to the Sunday Times. How, do, how does post-COVID look for you? Post-COVID was probably more challenging. So, we, um, we in 2018, we took on uh, investment from a private equity company actually called Active Partners. We'd taken on, uh, well... We'd had a lot of interest from many different people and we'd never entertained it, but Active had invested in some incredible consumer brands like um, Finister, who's an outdoors brand. Um, Honest Burger, as actually I mentioned earlier on. Um, Cubits, fantastic. Uh, they make um, glasses. Uh, and uh, Secret Cinema. Um, and anyway, we were really enamored by their kind of portfolio of, of companies they worked with and the approach they took. So um we took on that investment um and in fact actually that came through in 2019 so we sat on the first for the first time ever sat on uh, a bit of growth capital to deploy uh and during covid we made the decision to really invest in in the the plant and machinery and um and the facilities uh with a view to kind of the operating environment at the time which was primarily um the supermarkets and D2C. So coming out of COVID, we'd we'd really deployed the growth capital we had. Um, we were, you know, very well uh, set up to um, to service the off trade, which is the the supermarkets and uh, and indie retailers basically, um, as well as D2C. But we we had a bit of an underdeveloped on trade business, and on trade is bars and pubs and restaurants because historically you know we'd always been at capacity we'd never really focused on on that um so we uh you know we began to kind of and we're still in the process of kind of reshaping and refocusing the business around um building the brand in the in the on trade in the uk um you know the other the other thing that we felt quite acutely uh, off the back of covid and um and the the war in ukraine was cost pressures uh placed on the industry through uh significant increases in raw material costs so you know that was probably a more rocky period uh in reality um and i think as many businesses were we were trying to like work out what our operating environment looked like at that point which wasn't particularly clear um and actually the one thing about covid was that uh, at least for periods that you know your operating environment was very clear they would like the the kind of the retail and sales channels that were open to you were quite limited but it meant that you could have that that focus there so so yeah certainly more challenging 
uh, and we we lost a bit of uh, um, money throughout that period. So, um, yeah, we've we've worked really hard to address our cost base and and restructure and reshape the business, ready for the challenges ahead. Um, and we're, we're proud to be six months EBITDA positive now. Um, and we've got a twenty five vision for. Um, to hopefully see the business realize 25 million turnover by year on 25. So I feel like we're really on the front foot at this point after a period of kind of reassessing uh, where we're up to. And do, you, do you think some of that, I get, I get sort of slightly negative undertones from that post-investment period. Do you think it was almost, there were too many options for you to look at that, that caused the, the lack of focus? You know, you mentioned COVID, obviously, reduces your options but do you think more options makes it more complicated so i think that the so really the um not yeah the 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 challenges for us were that we we had a bit of a plan with uh with for the first time significant growth capital at least for a significant growth capital circa 3.5 million or so um (coughs) excuse me Uh, and then covid hit it changed up our operating environment and we we adapted really well to that but we deployed that growth capital um in a way that kind of was uh you know was reflective of the the adaptation as it were the business went through at that time so we didn't the original plan was that we were gonna have tap rooms as brand beacons um across the uk as well as investing in kind of brand and uh, and and marketing um, and actually doing smaller investments around around the site in Leeds, um, so we we were left and also building out the on trade too. So we, were, we didn't really have the resource to do that off the back of COVID. Um, yeah, that was that was more more the challenge uh, I would say, and it's really that's what we're starting to to rebuild again now. And we've just launched a, a food hall. In the center of Leeds, called the Northern Market, um, which is the first of a number of tap rooms we're hoping to, or kind of on trade experiences um, owned by Northern Monk that we're hoping to roll out in the next couple of years. So we're starting to get back on track with that side of things. So you mentioned you mentioned D two C, you've mentioned off trade, you've mentioned on trade. What's the what's the split across the business percentage wise? Yeah, so we are we're heavily weighted towards the off trade. Um, absolutely, uh, it's about sixty percent of our business at the moment. Um, we do about twenty percent of our business is in the on-trade pubs, bars, restaurants, um, and then we've got uh, you know much reduced kind of um, online DTC business uh, and the two tap rooms, which make up which make up the the other twenty percent or so. Okay, that's great. That's great. Now, you've mentioned brand two or three times, actually, and I know we're going to touch on this on your how-to. So, Russell, what's your how-to? So, yeah, we had a bit of a preamble we were discussing before before we went on air, as it were, and I'm not the most process-driven kind of methodical person, uh, I wouldn't say. However, one of the the journeys that I've gone on that I found uh, a lot of value in and I thought I would share with the audience is around kind of um, defining and distilling a brand essence. Um, and for us and the way we articulate that is fresh from the north. And if you go back to when uh, we first started the business, and I think this is probably 
a great way to reflect on on the the process uh, or or the method really of defining a, a a brand why is to think about why you're starting the business that you are um think about the problem that you're looking to solve and for me that was that um i wanted kind of progressive craft beer but it felt like it had a real sense of place and meaning and resonance to me as a consumer so at the time there's lots of breweries that were maybe doing craft beer um, but it felt very americanized and didn't really have a sense of place or you had like quite trad breweries who were making incredible beer um, and did have a bit of a sense of place but it just felt a little bit older didn't speak to me in the same way so um yeah, I think like fresh from the north is kind of the solution to that for me, uh, and and the way that that we uh, uh, have distilled our brand essence. Um, and so I think that's a, there's a really powerful exercise there around kind of reflecting on why you've started the business, uh, or reflecting on why you did start the business, uh, and trying to really hone and refine that down something that's incredibly succinct. Because really, that's the nucleus of what it is you do, and that's the fire and like that's the all you need to do really is add fuel to that if you're onto the right to the right track um and for for us you know we've kind of from that we've distilled our values so we talk a lot about communities our central value and i think uh community is um widely recognized as uh well at least in kind of like the way we see it and the way uh the feedback we've got when we speak to our audience and consumers is that communities seen as such a big part of this northern identity um freshness is one of our other values which is obviously a direct lineage there from uh, being fresh in the north and then integrity which i think is a really important part of of northernness as well and um you know that having that lens uh for what you do can just you know help you in every element of 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 uh, being in business really from decision making and deciding your values and uh, to the way in which you uh, execute uh, every element of your of your brand, I think that's I think that's absolutely great, and that 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 really specific core and the why I think is important for every business. And you know, the ones that are successful have that consistency of message through everything they do, which is obviously what you guys are doing. Um, one last question, Russell. Then we give every guest the opportunity to give a shout out to another Leeds business. Who are you going to give a shout out to? So I'm going to give a shout out to a couple of good friends. I think they're both like incredible operators in the city. Um, there's Marco who uh, and, and Mayor that run Bundabust. We started at a similar time, um, uh, uh, an Indian uh, street food and craft beer um, spot that now has sites too in Manchester, Birmingham and Liverpool. Uh, just the food there is absolutely superb and uh, continues to be. You never have a bad meal. Um, but also Ash, uh, who runs um, House of Foo, uh, Project House, Belgrave, Hedgerow, um, uh, and recently opened a um, House of Foo in Manchester, which is a, their ramen concept. And I just I think like, in both cases, they're just, they've got a fantastic like mind for consumer experiences. And I think, you know, particularly at the moment, people really want when they go to, uh, go to a restaurant or a bar, they want to feel like they're in a really considered and immersive, uh, experience. And, and I think their, their, their places truly, truly do that. So I think credit to credit to the city and, um, 
exciting to see them go further afield and take those concepts across the UK too. Fantastic. That's great. We'll have uh, links to both of those in the show notes. And Russell, just a big thank you for, for sharing your journey with us today. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you found it interesting, inspiring and of use. To make sure you don't miss out on any future episodes, please subscribe to the show. Go on, do it now. Do it now before you go off and do something else. Thank you. Much appreciated. Oh, and don't forget our fair deal. See you next week.